Welcome to another episode of the Spoon Mob Podcast. My name's Ray. I am your host. And today's episode is our 11th Chefs and Guests episode. There's been 10 before it. This one here is with Chef Hector Laguna, who's the executive chef over at The Botanist, which is a restaurant up in Vancouver. It's inside the Fairmont Pacific Rim Hotel right in the middle of downtown Vancouver. It's a pretty cool restaurant. It's kind of like on this second floor almost, like you walk into the hotel, there's a bar, pretty large like bar lounge area. And you go up kind of like a, not necessarily ascending staircase, but it does kind of do a little bit of a half twist. And that's where the restaurant itself is. It's made up of about four different kind of zones almost. There's a bar, there's like a patio area, which is enclosed. There's the main restaurant dining room too as well. There's like over 200 live plants inside the restaurant too as well. So you kind of get this greenhouse meshed with a fine dining restaurant concept. And that's kind of the overall feel. Pretty laid back, pretty casual, but really upscale food. Really well done too um, with the food. But podcast is about an hour or so. I think people forget like, you know, there is with Canada, you do have, you know, a handful of major cities with Toronto, Montreal, Quebec, you know, Calgary and Edmonton are kind of mid, mid-sized with New Vancouver, which is, you know, the one of the largest cities in the country. I think it might be the second largest, but definitely the, the largest on the West Coast and really the only main city kind of over on the West Coast too as well. But I think people forget that Canada is very similar to the U.S. I mean, they source ingredients locally uh, when they can too as well. I mean, they have their own wine scene, uh, especially in the Vancouver area with British Columbia and everything. So botanist is, you know, seasonal British Columbia ingredient focused. And it's just, it's a really cool restaurant. If you ever get the chance to go to highly recommend it. We've recommended it to other people that have gone through Vancouver. Uh, definitely looking forward to going back whenever pass back through uh, Vancouver, uh, hopefully sooner rather than later. But as for, you know, Chef Laguna, he's really nice guy, really like even keeled, laid back, super honest too as well. Um, we kind of go through how he got started in the industry and and why he wound up in San Francisco and Miami and then Toronto before he wound up in Vancouver and and how the opportunity came about, which was kind of a unusual story. Um, it's not one, I, I've heard of similar things happening to chefs here or there, but it's not a commonplace. So he kind of gets into how, you know, the opportunity came about and and where the restaurant was already at kind of when, when he joined and everything too. And, and we just kind of talk also about like, you know, the challenges they faced during coronavirus. And when we recorded this, this was a few weeks ago when we recorded it, they're three hours behind. So this actually recorded really late at night on my side. I think a recording started about like 11 p.m. And this was, if I recall, the same day that I recorded the Matt Larkin episode um, too as well. The interview with Matt, I think, was in the morning and this was uh, late at night. But neither here nor there. But like I was saying, with coronavirus, we talk about that. And they were actually just about to expand into another day. So they were originally Thursday, Friday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, they were doing dine-in, reduced capacity and everything with coronavirus restrictions. They were actually going to be adding Wednesday back on. They were only doing dinner. Uh, they weren't doing brunch and they weren't doing lunch like they normally would. But it was like, I think about a week after we recorded this, pretty much Canada went back on full lockdown and uh, indoor dining got halted in Vancouver for at least three weeks. So that's kind of why, you know, I held this one back, tried to time it as best I could with them reopening. So they should either be reopened or, or coming up on reopening too as well. So it's definitely a place that you can visit once you're able to get to Canada. You know, obviously with stuff restrictions, their vaccine rollout is a little bit uh slower than ours um, here in the US. So, but uh, it's pretty cool, you know, just to sit down with somebody when you eat at their restaurant and, and just kind of have a conversation, you know, it was really came together really quick, just kind of reached out to him and he was just down to do it. Uh, didn't have a whole lot of questions about why it was being done or anything, you know, why someone wanted to interview him. So he's definitely got a cool story. I think uh, a lot of chefs don't realize, you know, that they have this really interesting story just because they're surrounded by all the other all these other chefs in the industry that have all these amazing stories too. And so it's like, oh, well, I'm just kind of, that's just kind of the norm. So he, you know, like I said, he covers everything from, you know, basically how he wound up from Mexico and, and now he's up in Canada. So interviews about an hour long or so, and um, you can check out their Instagram at botanist dining at Hector Laguna one on Instagram too, as well. And then also at uh, Fairmont Pacific Rim, I believe is the account for the hotel there. So Check out all that stuff. Like I said, whenever you get a chance to get up there, uh, make sure you go. It's definitely 
one of the best restaurants that they have, not just in Vancouver. I mean, it's also on the Canada's uh, 100 best restaurants list routinely. It's usually in the 20s or 30s without question. So without further ado, this is my interview here with uh, Chef Hector Laguna of Botanist. Cool. Well, thanks for doing this. Uh, really appreciate you taking some time coming on the podcast and everything. I know it's uh, a little difficult. You guys are, you know, over in Vancouver, up in Canada, so different time zone and everything. No, it's good. It's a pleasure. Thanks for thanks for having me. Yeah. So you know, kind of start off usually, kind of the first part of the podcast, just kind of going through everybody's background on how they got started cooking. So I guess we'll kind of start there. You know, did some research on you and everything. Uh, I, you're originally from Mexico. Yep. And then family was big into cooking, but how did that all kind of come together for you? How'd you wind up in the in the industry? Uh, my family is big on cooking for the simple fact that I grew in a farm. I grew up I grew up in a farm, and um, so yes, there was always cooking at home. We had a, we had a big family, seven kids. So uh, yeah, there was always someone cooking at home. My grandma was an amazing cook. My mom is an amazing cook, and I grew up helping them. So that that's my connection with food. We grew everything we ate, so so that was great. All the way from produce to meat, everything, eggs, literally we, we grew everything. We barely bought anything ever. How big was your was your farm, your family's farm? Uh, it's not that big, but it's like, I want to say, it's divided in different little reg- uh, regions. So in total, probably 40 hectares, something like that. That's still pretty big. Yeah, it's, it's big, but it, as I said, it's, it's a little bit of everything. You know, we have cattle, we have coffee, corn, uh, beans, in everything in between, you know, it's, it's a little bit of everything. You know, you grew up on a farm then, and, you know, your parents and, and your mom and your grandmother were always cooking. Um, was that kind of how you first fell in love with cooking or was it later on? That's, <laughs> I grew up eating, eating, eating good food. Uh, that, that's how I, you know, I, I like it. And, you know, when, when you are little, when your family is a big, you have to pitch in. So we started by doing dishes. Then all of a sudden you have to grind the corn to make tortillas. Then you were making tortillas, you know, so you grow with it. You, you have it in you. Then when I moved to this, when I moved to the States, I lived in, in San Francisco, which is where I started cooking professionally. When I moved to San Francisco, um, it just happened. I didn't plan it. I never went to school for it. Uh, I happened to have a friend who was into cooking and asked me if I wanted to, uh, you know, they were looking for someone, not even a cook, but mostly a helper, like put the orders away and bring the stuff to the kitchen whenever they need it. And, um, and I said, sure, why not? And I started doing it. And, um, I'm a very, I, I like to observe a lot. So, so I was always looking at the cooks. I was always like looking what they were doing, how they did things, because obviously it was completely different, right? To anything I was, I was used to. And, uh, then I will start, like, I start noticing when they needed something before they asked for it. So I would like to, you know, like, always go ahead, ahead of the game. And they notice it as well. So one time the, the chef asked, like, hey, do you, you want to do something? You want to do salads or something? So, yeah, Sendo, that's how, that's how I started cooking. And uh, two and a half years later, I was running the restaurant. So uh, <laughs> it, it was, it was, uh, I, I just, I just fell in love with it. I knew, I knew that's what I wanted to do. And, I, I didn't want to do anything else. Like that that's how I, I got into it. When you moved to San Francisco, was it on part like did you purposely choose San Francisco or how did you come about to winding up in San Fran? I had a lot of friends in San Francisco and I wanted to I wanted two things. I wanted to learn the language and I you know, I don't know if you learning English in Mexico is, is very complicated. Because it's either really expensive or or the schools are really no good. So I, I figured if I want to do it, I might as well do it properly. So I moved I moved to the states. I, I chose I chose San Francisco just because I I have friends I knew will be all fell at home. I went for six months and that was twenty years old. So so I, I never I never really went back after. So twenty years ago, that's. What about like two thousand? Like yeah, two thousand. How big of it was like a culture shock from Mexico to San Francisco? It was very big. I came from, as I said, I came from a farm. The town outside the farm is still up now has we used to be about five hundred people. Now let's say we double it up, so so it's about a thousand people. I went to that to San Francisco, so the the change was it was massive all the way from like you know the city noise to begin with, you know to it's just different, different uh, culture, as you said. Is uh, I've never seen so many different things all in one place, you know. And I, and I, I remember 
I remember the lobbying going from, from Chinatown to Italian town was literally all you need to do is cross the street. And, and all the different food-wise, for example, that like you walk down Chinatown and you have all those amazing things they do. And, and you can just pick one out of the sack and eat it. And then cross the street on, that was a long time ago. Uh, I don't remember that the street exactly, but cross the street and be com- in a completely different, all the way from the way the streets look to obviously restaurants and all that stuff, completely, completely different. It was it was amazing to see all that. And for me, I mean, I was I was 19 at the time, and I've never been anywhere else other than home. So it was it was it was definitely yeah, it was definitely shocking for sure. So like you said, you wind up I think working at I think it was called like Three Seasons Restaurant. It's kind of where you you started, yeah, uh, and then you yeah. you said you wind up a couple of years, kind of worked your way up and started running the restaurant. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they opened a second place on One uh, Creek, and. Uh, yeah, the chef. The chef asked if I wanted to take care of it, and and yeah, I did. I, I ran it for, after I took over. I ran it for like four and a half years. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, and then I moved to Miami. What kind of was it? Vietnamese or Asian cuisine, or what kind of style? Yeah, it was, it was Vietnamese. It was ran by a Vietnamese family, so the chef was was the husband. From the house manager was the wife, and the main the main cooks other than the chef it was it was the in laws. So it was two, an old couple making really, really traditional Vietnamese food in the back. And then Sean, who's the chef, and me and another, and a couple of other guys. And that, that was it. Was it like hard to learn just because that wasn't a style of cuisine that you were familiar with? Or, or did you just kind of pick it up on the fly? Like you said, watching everybody kind of cook and how everything was moving about the kitchen? It was, it, was definitely, it was definitely hard because, you know, as I said, I, I grew up cooking in my mom's kitchen. That come completely different, all the way for, you know, the adrenaline and, and all that, you know, like having so many things to do at once. That, that was something I wasn't used to. And uh, the, the cuisine also completely different, you know, like the flavors. Although I got to say, flavors are both very intense. Mexican food, Vietnamese food, you know, different. But they, they both have a lot of soul, if you know what I mean. You know, it's like they... They give you what they give you, and you know it's it's nothing like it's they are no dressed up things. It's not like you eat something and taste like something else. You know what you're eating. It's just intense. It's good flavors, and, and that in that way it's, it's a little similar. Ingredients is completely different, but then you wind up, uh, I think, going to Miami, like you mentioned, right? How did how did that all come about? I think you wind up working at uh, is it Michi's? Michi's, yeah. So while in San Francisco, I met my now wife and. Uh, she was. She moved to Miami to get her PhD. Oh, okay. And so I just, I just follow. <laughs> um, yeah, we 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 lived there for a while. I um I got a job with Michi, which I'm so grateful about it. She was an amazing person to work for. And um, I start I start from zero again. I started making salads again. Even though I was running a restaurant back in San Francisco, I went back to Miami and do it all over again, which I'm totally okay with. And uh, I was there from 2006 almost seven to 2011 which was when I when we left Miami and um, same thing I, I did I did uh, I, I started doing salads and I moved my way up all the way and um, had I stayed I would have run the restaurant the year after but I we, we, we left before that did you just like walk in and apply or how did you learn like that they had an opening how'd you wind up there you know I um even before even before I moved I I researched I, I looked all the restaurants that I would have like to work and Mishis was one of them. I sent them my resume and a letter. Before I got there, I said like, hey, I introduced myself. I, I would love to work in your place. I'm I'm just moving there. I'll be there. And I told them when. They called me the same day that I, I arrived and said like, hey, you want to go for an interview? I went there. I did a stash. Uh, they offered me yeah, And that's how that's how it happened. Yeah. It's that quick. That's cool. Yeah. I, I didn't have any many places that I wanted to work in Miami at, at that time. I had that one and maybe a few others. Was the restaurant scene in Miami at the time just kind of like compared to now? Was it like lacking a little bit, or was it still? It was. It was. It was definitely lacking a little bit. Miami has really, really good food. Not. Don't take it wrong. It's, it, it has really good Cuban food. It has really good, you know, uh, Jamaican food. Uh, you know, but but I I I I didn't want to do that kind of cooking. No, because it's not good. It's just because once I decided I wanted to do cooking for a living, I. You know, I, I want to make sure I was on the right path. And I enjoy eating in those places. <laughs> but that wasn't it wasn't the food I wanted I wanted to cook. Mostly because I didn't know like I didn't know the, the roots of it. 
And that comes funny, considering the fact that I started working at a Vietnamese restaurant. But, <laughs> you know, but it, it's, it's different, though. I was in a different stage before I I needed something to do. Well, after that, I wanted, I, I wanted that to be my thing. So I, I wanted to yeah. choose my path. Michelle, at the time, was, he was one of the best chefs in the city, if not the best chefs in the, chef in the city. So working for her, it was, really, uh, it was something that I was really looking forward to. What kind of style of food were they cooking there at Michi's? Was it just American or was it? Well, yeah. So she is Argentinian Italian, but she was cooking. She was, so she was cooking a, a mix of, but but it was a very heavy French influence. So the techniques and and, and all the procedures were were very French, but but definitely she always kept her backgrounds and and, and so we had pasta, we had steak, we had ceviche, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it's just well executed, ingredients well sourced. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was good. So then you wind up, I think, going to Toronto, right? After that, you guys moved to Canada? Toronto. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to blame it on my wife again, but, but yeah. <laughs> so she got her PhD she, she got her PhD, and then she applied for a, a, like an internship, basically. And the way you work, so she's on psychology. The way you work says that she chooses three three places that she wants to go. And, and it also happens on the other side. Places, either hospitals or schools or stuff, they choose three candidates. So for some reason, one of the places she chose was in Toronto and they chose her. So it's a matching process, basically. So you, so you choose what you want and then you hope that your, your first choice come up. So, so she went over to Toronto. So there we go. We moved, we, we moved to Toronto. I mean, how big of a culture shock was that move? That was, that was worse. <laughs> Going from like, that's, I mean, that's the first time you ever saw snow, right? Like, yes, which is, which, it was, it was pretty funny for people to see when, when I saw, when I saw snow the first time, I remember it was like, it started snowing right before service. So it would have been probably around four o'clock and I went out to get something and, and I saw snow, like I ran in like, oh my God, this is snowing. And everybody was like, yeah, it happens a lot. <laughs> and they were like, well, for you, not for me. So I, I liked it. I remember that night, and this is really, really funny. I got home at like one o'clock, like at night, and I woke my wife up. and like, hey, yes, it's snowing. So we, we got out, we got, we stood up, and we went sledding at like one in the morning. Like, I was so excited. I was so excited about it. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty funny. When you think about it, like, yeah, that was crazy. But it, it was fun. And um, yeah, so I was, I was in Toronto for about a year and a half. Um, I did not enjoy it. Was it just kind of like the city itself or like the culture or what, what didn't you kind of... I think going from, you know, going from San Francisco to, to Miami, I feel those places, San Francisco, because I knew a lot of people, Miami, because as you know, it's a lot of Latin culture. So I, I felt home. Mm -hmm. I did not, I did not feel in Toronto. Toronto, it was, it felt like a big city with, without a soul for me. People love Toronto and, and, and they say how amazing it is. He, he, he didn't do it for me. Uh, you know, I like my job and I was happy, but I knew, I knew I was going to, I wasn't going to be there for, for long. Now you wound up working, I think, at a couple of places, right? I think Lee's restaurant or Lee restaurant. Lee, Lee, which, which is, 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 um, the reason I, I worked there, that was the, the first place I worked in, in Toronto. The chef, who's is it's a good friends with, with Michelle, my chef in, 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 in Miami. So when I was moving, she said like, Hey, no, no, no obligation, but I'll, I'll give him a call in if, if you guys, you know, if you want to work for him or whatever, like, well, it will be cool. So I moved to Toronto and a really nice, really, really nice guy. Again, his food wasn't necessarily the food I wanted to keep cooking moving forward, but he was a big chef. So I figured I'll get, you know, I'll, it's, it's a good reputation. It's a good to have in my resume and stuff. So I, I work for him. Uh, his food is very tasty. It's really, really good. Just, again, it's not my thing. So I, I really only worked there for about six months. And then I move on and I went to Notabene to work for Davily, another, which is more aligned to, you know, more, more the food I, <laughs> the food I, I like to cook. And I was there for, I was there for about a year and a half, mm, two, 2011, like two, like two years. And then I came to, to Toronto. I mean, to Vancouver. How did you, how did you wind up in Vancouver then? <laughs> you won't believe it. <laughs> yeah, I followed my wife again. Uh, <laughs> yeah, she, uh, she moved to, uh, she, she wind up getting a job at UBC. 
as a professor. So yeah, we pack up our stuff and, and move again. Um, I, I I was I was so I was so ready to move anyways. So she applied at a bunch of places. Some of them I was really excited about it. Others not not so excited about it. What were some of the places? Some of them some of them were like the East Coast, which was more more snow. I, I really wanted to get away from it. I know it's not so Vancouver, but I'm okay with it. Like the amount of snow we had like this year, we got one 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 snow. It's, it's not. Um, so yeah, we moved to uh, we we moved here. The other places it was Ottawa, uh, Quebec. So yeah, I, I wasn't I wasn't so thrilled about it. I I want to get away from the cold. You know, being a Mexican from Miami to really heavy winters, it was it was it wasn't fun. So yeah, I wanted to move. She got the job here. It was. It was amazing. It was it, it was it was great. I, I I love the city. I love the people. I love the the culture. I love the diversity. Yes, I I feel like I'm I'm definitely in the right spot. The only city I will say I will consider moving again is probably San Francisco. But other than that, I'm 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 settled here. I'm good. When you're moving from Miami up to Canada, how difficult of a process was that with like just paperwork and like did did you have to go through the citizenship test eventually for Canada or? Yeah, it, it wasn't hard. It wasn't hard because my wife got a sponsor 100%. So I just came with a package, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So they sponsored her. She got, she she applied straight for a, a PR card, which in states is like a green card. And uh, I applied for the same thing. And um, I don't know how familiar or not familiar you are with the process, but the, the more education you have, the, the easier it is. And so for her, obviously, was at the very top, right? So she she got all the points. <laughs> and uh, also for me, being a chef, being a chef in Canada, apparently, is, is it has a lot of demand. So they also give me extra points for that. So it wasn't it wasn't too it wasn't too hard. It wasn't it wasn't hard. Yeah. I mean, I guess the hardest part was that she moved she moved a year before me, and then I had to wait for all my paperwork to to come through because obviously they needed it right away. They didn't need me right away, so they 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 prioritized it for sure. <laughs> but other than that, it was it was fine. It wasn't too bad. So then when you wind up in Vancouver, I think uh, what you wind up, do you wind up at Hawksworth at first? Yeah, we, uh, I came to visit Vancouver the year before and uh, we were here for about a week and we ate, we ate everywhere in the city. Uh, I, Hawksworth was for sure the best meal we had here. And it was so funny. We were on the sky train from the airport to the city. So at this point, I've been in the city for half an hour, 40 minutes. And I was, I was Joel, like, you know what? I will, I will move here. Like, I would like to live here. And she laughed, she laughed in my face. Like, we've been here for half an hour. Like, yeah, I know. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I just, you know, like, I just feel it. You know, like, all right, cool. And then we forgot about it. Then a year later, this whole thing uh, happened. And then she wind up working here. We moved. So it happened. And and I did the same thing. Before I move, I sent I sent Hogs with a letter and an email and exactly the same way I did when I moved to Miami. And it happened. They they gave me a job and, and I was there for two and a half, maybe three, three years. Oxworth is a pretty famous, you know, restaurant, I think, in Vancouver. Uh for yeah, people that yeah. don't know maybe or haven't been to Vancouver, but it's it's one of routinely, I think, amongst probably what, like the top ten restaurants in the city, something like that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. It, it was one of the best restaurants in the country. When I when I started working there back in 2013, it was that year. So it was no, it was the best restaurant in the country for like two years in a row. Then when I when I started working there, I believe it was third. And we we stayed there for a long time. And then it's been a lot of changes. A lot of stuff happened. Uh, right now, last 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 rating, I think it was ten or something like that. And the country that is. But uh, yeah, it's it's very good. The chef is is, is super well known. Everybody knows him. Uh, yeah, David. Yeah, exactly. So with that experience, did you take away anything before you know moving on? Was it just a complete different environment that you never been in before, or was it just kind of hit the ground running as soon as you got there and just started learning and picking stuff up? Is I think the fact that I moved, I moved a lot. It was it was kind of. I was kind of used to being the new guy and having to, you know, kitchens can be a little intimidating sometimes, you know? So you go through a, a new place, they have their own way of doing things. Sometimes it's no better, it's no worse, or it's no good, it's no bad, it's just different. And that, you know, that can be strange, can be a little, you know, a little weird sometimes. And in and, and host were obviously wasn't, it wasn't any different. It was the same thing. I got it in, uh, you know, some things that, I was used to doing a certain way. They do it in a different way. The end result may be the same, but at the end of the day, they like to do it that way. So, so we do it that way. And, um, but as I said, I was very used to it already. 
So it wasn't, it wasn't really, I, I get, I give a couple of days, I see how they do things and then, and then I follow and then it gets to the point, obviously, when then, all right, I, I've been doing your thing for this time. There is also another option, another way we can do it. And then some people are open to it, other people aren't. And that, I mean, that's just, that's just the way it is, right? But uh, yeah, I, I think I'm a very easy going kind of guy. I, I guess that, that kind of helps too. Yeah, for sure. How did uh how did the opportunity with the Fairmont Hotel and, and that restaurant how did that all come together? So when it was so I was I, I was um I was the senior sous chef at Hotsworth and um I was I was thinking already about leaving because the way things were I there, there was really nothing after that for me there and uh, the chef the cuisine that I that I really like working for just left and um, so I, I I figured that was that was the time for me to leave as well so I was. Thinking about it, like obviously not necessarily openly looking for something, but but ready for for something else. And, and it just happened. I got I got a phone call, and they said, "Hey man, uh, this is what we are doing." And somehow your name is in our desk, and uh, you want to come and chat about it. Uh, so I so I just went. I I never thought I wanted to work in a hotel because it's it's a whole different thing, right? It's, it's a lot of other stuff that I don't I'm not used to it, but. Uh, but you know what? I, I I went with an open mind. I, I met the uh, executive chef at the hotel at the time and the general manager of the hotel at the time as well. And um, it, was, it, was, it was easy. I went for a half an hour interview and I was there for like three hours. And and, the, and we were just talking. We, we, like literally, the, the interview feeling of the whole thing, it, it just went away within 10 minutes. And then we just, we just talked. We, it, was, it was just an easy conversation about places, about food, about the way I see things, about the way they see, the, the way they see things. Obviously, I ask a bunch of questions about the, the project. What are they, you know, like, what were they looking for? Where did they see the restaurant going? What direction? And, and all that stuff. But after we got through it, Everything else, it was it was so smooth. It was well, like I I haven't seen a couple of friends, and we are just catching up on stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was it was really easy. I, I like I I really I really like the project they had in mind, and uh, obviously I had a few requirements which they were happy to happy to uh, be okay with, and and it was it was it was easy. It was an easy decision for sure. Yeah, it's interesting that they they called you. Usually, it's that's that's not something that I feel like normally happens is like a restaurant reaches out to potential like chefs so right. did you ever find out like how they got a hold of your name like who slipped it to them or there is a lot of uh hypotheses i i, I not a hundred percent and and uh people who, who hired me are gone so i guess we we won't know <laughs> but uh it happened that, that's what it matters <laughs> you know they they bring you on to open the restaurant there now the restaurant itself is separate from like the hotel uh like room service right that's a whole separate kitchen so you, you don't have to deal with any of that no no no. and that, that was one of the requirements <laughs> that was one of the things i was i was very very specific about it so i i wanted to take care of i wanted to take care of the restaurant and and only the restaurant period um obviously at the end of the day it's still in a hotel so i now we are closed for a bunch of services but uh we needed to do breakfast breakfast lunch dinner and brunch on the weekends then so so sure that that's fine um so we open we open i i you know thinking thinking back we should have slowed down a little bit but we we, we went up open three services at once the only one that we didn't open it was brunch so those days were those days were tough you know like growing we went from zero to a hundred and and like you know no no time if i had to do it again i will definitely take it slow and go maybe dinner then lunch then then breakfast kind of thing or figure out a way but we did it anyways and uh it was it was hard. It was um, we I, I guess we didn't realize how big of a beast it was, but we we hit the we hit the ground running. Like we we went from you know like doing over a hundred each service, and and it was it was it was just a mess. Like in in a good sense of the word, you know, it was just a lot of people. It was we were always busy. It was but but you know what? A couple of like a few months in, we got used to it. The teams got together, and we, we made it happen. But it was it was a lot of struggle for sure. When you're going through the interview process, how did you guys like decide on the vision for the restaurant? Like, was it just kind of everybody pretty much already had the same vision or was it like you had, you wanted to do one type of cuisine and they were looking for something else and you guys had to figure out how to bring it together? Or? I, that, that, that part was really easy for two reasons. One, one, I came in a little late. So apparently they, I, I had no idea. I, I think it's, it's hard to understand this because I think they needed they needed the chef, but they kept on moving forward with, with everything else, even though they haven't had the chef. As far as I heard, over 10 people went to apply for the job. 
And for some reason or another, they, they didn't give the position away. So when I came in, they, they knew what they, they basically knew what they want in, in a sort of way, which is, you know, so it happens that that's kind of what I wanted to. So that, so that, that part was really easy. It was just like, I just, I just fell in. It was, it was, it was easy for me. Uh, they, they, they did all the, all the, the planning and all that stuff. Then I obviously came in and, and I did say, I'm going to do this, but I cannot do that sort of things. But they were super open with it. They, whoever put my name on the desk, it seemed like said a lot of really good things about me because they were really flexible with, with, with what I wanted. So it was, it wasn't, it, it was, that part wasn't really, wasn't really, really the hard. When you started, you know, getting into the restaurant, they had this vision for the cuisine and everything. You knew exactly what it was and, and vice versa. So what was, I guess, that vision is it still the same with the style of like seasonal, low, you know, focusing on British Columbia ingredients, all that stuff. Yeah, it's, it's still the same. We still we we and that is one of the things that I you know like for the time that that the bonus has, has been open, we went through three different executive chefs of the hotel that is. We went through three different general managers, and you know everybody come in, they all want to put their own thing, right? But um. The restaurant is, is thankfully doing really well since we opened. That is really hard for them to to come and try to change something, like fix something that isn't broken, right? So, so they've been they they've been really 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 uh, understanding and really supporting in that in that sense. Obviously, everybody has a little different ideas that they want to implement, not necessarily about cuisine, but about operations or about the, there's so many different things that a restaurant involves. But the main idea we kept it, we use, we use very local and, um, very fresh. We have a bunch of purveyors that, that we only use them in the hotel. Nobody else does. So there, there are things that, that they know. I get some things that I know, I know they know are more expensive than usual things. But at the end of the day, it's, it's a business, right? So as long as the food goes kind of, uh, goes along with, with our, our target is, it's fine. With the design of the restaurant, because there's a lot of there's a lot of greenery, there's a lot of plants. You know, obviously that kind of matches matches the yeah, the name there. Was that did you have any input with that, or was that already farther down the road when you came in? That was already like this is what the design's going to be and and all that. It, it, it was it was already all that. Okay, that that was already all that. Um, they had they had a lot of other different projects. Like they they wanted to do uh they wanted to do different menus for every different area. You know we have a garden in the entrance. It's a beautiful place, but it only sits like probably fifteen people. Then we at the like even before you go into the restaurant, it's like a little lounge kind of thing. They wanted to do a champagne uh, menu there. So there were a lot of different things. One of them we kept. Some of them we we got rid of. And uh, so definitely we they they were changes but no no drastic we have a have a bar which is one of the the main focus of the restaurant the bar is the bar is a big part of the program and um we, i i think the, the guys are doing definitely a really 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 good really cool cool stuff there and we just came up with a like a bar tasting menu so instead of me doing a tasting menu which is what we do in the main room i i designed the food and then the sommelier just matches the food with the wine right so we we are doing this at the bar where they do a, a, a cocktail program i drink the drinks which is that's the best part of it and and then i i create the food based on their drinks okay so it's like the reverse kind of then exactly yeah. a, a reversing but we wanted to do it away because if you want to if you want a tasting menu focus on food then you just go and eat at the restaurant like the main the main room yeah so so the the idea was for them to have for us to have a tasting menu at the bar. So I suggested why don't we do that and see how it goes. And it has been really really good so far. So yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, and once you guys kind of get rolling, I mean you you wind up racking up like a bunch of different accolades, a bunch of different press, uh, Vancouver Sun, like yeah. Canada's 100 best restaurants, yeah. I think the Four Diamond Award, all that stuff's in there. Uh with all that kind of coming in within like the first year, first two years, did that change anything for you guys? Or was it still like business as usual? Or did you see, you know, obviously with some of those awards, you're going to see like an uptick in business, you know, people coming in because of the publicity and everything. But yeah, did that make it more challenging with having to increase the amount of covers that you were doing? Or how did all that kind of flow? Uh, in, increasing the amount of covers, uh, we do what we do. We, we cannot do anymore. Like before, before the pandemic hit, we we were we were hitting two hundred uh, on the weekends. With the if we do more than two hundred, then we wouldn't be doing it right. So so yeah, that's basically it. during during the weekdays. Yes, they were a room. They were room to do to do more. But 
I don't think it would have been it would have been healthy for the restaurant to do anymore because you know there is I mean like yes physically there was a way to do it a day or two when you know like every now and then you got like the crazy weekend uh, like weekday day when it just happens but I feel like doing that every day it just becomes unhealthy I think so we were we were we were hitting the numbers we we were happy with and that's that's um yeah obviously the the press definitely definitely helped a lot. But there wasn't so much more to help in that regard. With kind of all those accolades, did there feel like there was some sort of like pressure? Like, did did you feel any pressure to like live up? Like all these people are saying like all this, you know, it's what you're doing and you know that it's great. But like, did at some point like you feel like, am I not like you weren't second guessing yourself, but like there's clearly like other people really feel like it's at this bar. Like I got to get to this level and you don't feel like you're there. Right. I feel like I feel like there is there is always a pressure. Um, my my two senior chefs have been with me for well, since we opened, but I worked with them for a little longer before that. So I've been working with them for about six years, and they are the kind of people that never care about how much they work, and they like what they do, and and they love pushing their, themselves, and uh, and so and so do I. So it's, it's basically the, the same the same mentality, and uh, we really don't get comfortable. Okay, we don't like to get comfortable. So we always trying new things. We always trying to um, treat the same ingredient in a bunch of different ways and see what comes out. Sometimes we get surprised of how bad it is, and sometimes it works really well. So you know, but we always we always trying trying new stuff. And 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 yeah, I don't I don't think we I don't I don't think we we allow ourselves to get comfortable at all. And and regardless of the the awards, like yeah, we have gotten a bunch of them. But even if, even if we had them, I think that probably put more pressure on us, like the fact that. We, we need to do something different, right? We need to do something better if, if people aren't, aren't enjoying it. So like when you guys are creating the menus, how do you decide? I know you, you focus kind of with the seasons. It, it would change. But how do you decide when it's time to, to add a new dish or create a new tasting menu? Do you do multiple kind of different tasting menus within a, a season? Well, like the spring season or? We, we do, especially spring. Like, like you know, spring, spring is... is uh, it changes. It changes a lot within the season. So when we do when we do these kind of changes, we don't necessarily change the whole tasting menu, but we do change a few dishes um, when we don't when we don't want to change the whole the whole tasting menu. But we we change it. The full tasting menu changes probably five times a year, and 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 between the changes, sometimes we change a few dishes because we either sick of them or we cannot get the, the ingredients of the same quality at that time. So we, we just get rid of them and do something else. Okay. So it's, it's really just about like what the ingredients available kind of determines how long a dish will last. Yeah. Pretty much. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, so then like when, when COVID happens, how did that affect you? I mean, you guys had to close, right? You, did you ever switch to, to go takeout or did you guys just close completely? No, no, we, 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 we didn't. We, we closed completely. We closed last March. So basically a year ago. Um, we, yeah, we closed the hotel. It stayed open the whole, the whole way through. They, they never closed. But Badness itself, yeah, we closed, we closed in March and we reopened in September. Um, when we reopened, it was obviously it was challenging for everybody. You know, it's, it's the same for everybody, right? We came back, we opened, uh, in four days a week. Three days a week. So we came back, we opened three days a week. Um, the first two weeks, it was hard. What is hard the most, even up to now, not as, not the same degree, but, but still, the amount of people that don't show up, which affects us more because obviously we don't have the, the ability to see that many people, right? So if you book a table, we are hoping you show up. So, so the table doesn't go to waste. So you're having people cancel on like reservations that they made? They either cancel... When you call them, hey, you have a reservation in 10 minutes. And they say, like, oh, yeah, I forgot to cancel it. Like, that to me is not canceling it. That to me is just not showing up. Yeah. You know, because that, what, what do you do then? You know, it's like you have that table reserved for them for two and a half hours that the table is going to sit empty. So I, I I feel like in that regard, people really need to step up a little bit. And, you know, understand that understand that we are really going through a hard time and we're trying to put our best foot uh, forward. And, and like for, for us, I, we, we really, we really fight hard to keep the same, the same vision. Like we, we did not change, we did not change the rest. If you, we, we did shorten the menu a couple of dishes and, and either side appetizers and, um, 
and mains. But other than that, we, we kept the same, the same version of the tasting menu we do in the bar. I, I was just telling you about, you know, so the same vision. We, we have the same vision. We have the same, we got, we want to give the people the same, the same experience, even though we are, we can only sit like 60% of what we were sitting there or, or before the pandemic. So when, when we have all those, all those people not showing up, okay, something very last minute, then it obviously, it obviously hurts. You know, economically, that is. But, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it, it was definitely, it was even definitely hard. We had to unfortunately go, you know, like all the, the breakfast team, all the lunch team, we, they, they're gone, right? We don't, we don't have those services. Nothing we can do about it. When you guys reopened, how, how long did it take before kind of people started coming? Did people start coming like right away? And, or was it, did it take a couple of weeks for people to kind of feel okay with going back into a restaurant or has it even gotten back to kind of that time? You know, we, we, uh, we actually opened later than most of the places in the city. Okay. So by the time we opened, people have made in mind as to whether they were okay going out or not. Like we didn't, we skipped that whole, that whole phase of people wondering, like, is it safe, is it not? I feel like at, at, at the same time, we just needed people to come in and make sure that what we were doing was the right thing to do. You know, like, otherwise, tables, like, a reasonable distance and, and the protocols we follow, which we are lucky because the restaurant is, is, is very big. So, and the, and our tables were already quite apart. So, yes, we lost a few tables, but, but nothing like, you know, like in a place where you see 30, 40 people and then you, have to reduce we, we could see the 120 at the time at once so now we probably sit 70 80 maybe still a pretty big room yeah sure so so yeah we don't we we, we are lacking that regard as well but yeah it's been it's been tough did you guys up there have issues with like you know here in at least ohio and i think some of the other cities you know columbus and whatnot but they had issues with like even just getting like hand sanitizer. Like we had, I'm sure you guys saw like on the news, like we had run on like all the, you know, toilet paper and hand sanitizer. Like you couldn't Lysol wipes. Was it the same up there too as well with that or? Yeah, no, it was exactly the same. There was no okay. toilet paper in the city. There was no sanitizer anywhere. Uh, there is a brewery, right, right, like a couple of blocks like that stopped brewing beer and they just did sanitizer. Okay. So they were doing that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We had yeah. places doing it too, but then like, yeah. I guess. From what I heard, if uh, you make that conversion, it can kind of ruin some of your equipment, Probably. and then you have to replace yeah. you have to I replace can, your I equipment. Can, I can imagine, yeah. And like here in America, uh, I think there was supposed to be some sort of program where like maybe the government reimbursed for the equipment or, or something like that got damaged, but then that just kind of like fell through and like never happened, unfortunately. So there were some breweries that were on the hook for costs just for trying to kind of help make sanitizer and stuff. Um, I read that you don't like the sous vide. Is that true? No, I don't. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm, I'm always, I'm always cool, man. Um, I don't. The the texture is different. It looks pretty. It looks, it looks really nice. But uh, the the texture is the texture is different. I like tender meat, but that becomes too tender. I think for me, you know, it's like it's really hard to. It's really and and obviously some people are maybe a little smarter than me and they can do it. I I guess it's just my ability. Uh, it's hard to get an idea of a steak that is already cooked. You know, as as to me, is the texture is different. I rather do it. I rather what I call properly, and that's completely wrong. I don't. I don't think there's a right or a wrong. I, I I think whatever works for you is 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 the way. It doesn't. It doesn't work for me. It doesn't do it. But but I I know people who do it and who and they do it really really well. And then it's totally okay with me. It's not like I have something against. It. I just don't. I rather not to use it. But you know, I. Uh, I love cooking meat. Like if I if I were to cook work a station, I, I love working working the meat station. And uh, I'm very lucky too because my cook guy is amazing. <laughs> he can cook a piece of meat, like no no question. So I guess I, I'm very lucky about it. And so I don't need I don't need to I don't need to go to that. And uh, yeah, I choose on I choose on using. Do you bounce around to like different stations when you're in the middle of service, or are you expoing or? We we have a like a French style kind of kind of kitchen. So the cooks cook. I we me and my soup plate everything. So yeah, we taste everything before before it goes on the plate. Uh, and yeah, we walk around. We before service, we taste everything. Typical typical thing. But and, and then sometimes sometimes I have to work a session. I work a session. No no problem. All my soups have to work a session. No big deal. But um, right now our team is very very small. That 
it's a it's a good and a bad thing. Like everybody can jump in a session and just do it. So it's it's good. And um it's a little easier to to control quality as well. You never went to culinary school yourself, but would you is that something that you would recommend to somebody that was like up and coming in the industry? Or do you think hands-on experience, real kitchen experience is more valuable? I I, I think it's good to go to school. I just, I just, I think it's important for, for them to know that a school isn't going to give you what you need to, what you need to, to make it in cooking. They need to understand that the fact that you have the diploma doesn't guarantee that you're going to go apply for a job and be successful at it. You know what you, I, and, and, and it's, it's hard for me to say because I, I never did, but what I see of people coming out of school, they know, you know, they know all the fancy names of things and, and, you know, they know what, a I don't know, potato dauphines and all that kind of stuff. I, I didn't know what it was. I had to learn it after I made it, you know, like after I actually got to, to make it for, for a dish or, or during service or something like that. So they know, they learn how to do the, what, what those things are or how to technically make them way before they actually have to do it. So I feel like it's, it's very different knowing the procedure or the idea of how to make something versus having to make it and having to make a bunch, like, you know, like 50 of them a day and have them to all be the same. And that is something that you're not going to get at school. And some people don't don't realize that by the fact that they went to school, they, they're going to come out of it and then they, they're going to be a full a full on chef. I, I feel like that is that is the switch they have to turn. Understand that, like, yeah, sure, you have the basis, but you need, you really need to to put it in work before before you can you can actually tell yourself I know how to do it. All right, so we got uh, a few more questions. Uh, about eight questions, ask these to everybody who comes on the podcast. So just kind of get their their take on some stuff. Who would you say is the biggest influence on your cooking career thus far? Looking back at it, if it's someone that I that I work for, definitely Michelle. Michelle definitely showed me. Not just how to cook some properly, but the love, the love for food. You know, the way she saw food is the sparkle that food brought to her eyes is I haven't seen it in, in other people. And, and she really, she really got that into me. I, 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 she got me to understand, to understand food in a different, in, in a different level. You know, before I love food, I love eating, obviously. So I love good food, but, but for her, it was the same pride of, making something really good for her mom or something good for a guest. You know, that that pride, that love for, for the for for the art is is what I got from her. So I, I definitely think she really influenced a lot. Not just my abilities, which she definitely helped a lot, but more my 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 view of cooking. What's the uh one kitchen item that's not a knife, uh that you can't live without that has to be a must in in any kitchen that you're in? Probably a cake tester. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I think they're very important. As I said, if I don't be meat, I need to know. I need to know what it is inside like without having to cut it. I think those things are so tiny, they get overlooked, but I, I, I think they're very, very important. What's the one Vancouver restaurant that you'd recommend that isn't your own? So the scenario I always give is, uh, you know, somebody was flying through a flight at Vancouver airport, got canceled. They reach out to you. Hey, you know, you guys aren't open tonight. Where should I go? You know, I can grab dinner anywhere in the city. Yeah, uh, there, there, there are a few. I, I probably my first go is probably Annalena. Um, I think after a really good meal, I had a Hogsworth, and I, I think that's the, probably the best meal I had in the city. Is is really is really really good. They do they do simple things but very well executed. And um, so I probably will probably be will probably be Annalena. Uh, what's the like one kind of bucket list travel destination, bucket list restaurant that you haven't been to, but but you definitely want to go someday. Yeah, um, I'm really really sad I never made it to Albuquerque. Alinea is the one I definitely want to go, and that that would be definitely my 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 first yeah my first choice. What's the craziest thing you've seen happen in a restaurant while you were working? <laughs> That's a long time ago. There were actually two things by the same person. This person was asked to um, to strain the build the build stock. And he got rid of the stock and saved all the bonds. <laughs> that, was, that was pretty funny. Another one is uh, that this washer got, which was the same person, give the shellfish to to wash while it was busy, and he passed it to the dishwasher. So the clamps and the mussels came out <laughs> came out cooked on the other side. That was that was pretty funny too. <laughs> Did anybody try it? Like actually try one to see like what it tasted like? No, 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 no. 
I think people were more upset than like were too upset to to try that one. <laughs> Food or drink, guilty pleasure. Is there anything like um, you know when you're in the grocery store and like you're like I, I can't go down that aisle because I know this thing's down there and I'll I'll wind up buying it if I go down there or anything like that. Uh, food, I, 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 I love chocolates. Chocolate is, 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 is a big one. Coffee, obviously, but coffee, I feel like it's an, it's a normal thing for me. They, uh, coffee, chocolate is the one they try to avoid. Coffee is the one that I can avoid. So is there any, is it any type of chocolate? Like, is it milk chocolate or is it like a certain like brand or anything? Not necessarily a brand. I, I love dark chocolate. So I, I really enjoy the, the bitter. Oh, so you like the bitter stuff. Okay. The bitter part of it, you know, like, it's, uh, yeah. And yeah, as I said, I try to avoid it, but not necessarily, um, mostly because, uh, I, I don't necessarily exercise too much and it's not even, it's not even for the looks, it's mostly for the health, but, uh, yeah. And coffee, coffee, I can, I can never get rid of it. So as I, I made peace with it. Favorite dish, favorite thing you've ever cooked or created. Like you kind of look back on your career so far and, and you can kind of point to that moment where, yeah, when I made this dish, that was kind of my aha moment. Like that's when I realized like it all had kind of come together. I came up with a, with a vegan exosas like a couple of years ago. And it was, uh, I, I, up, up until now, I still use it every now and then. And I think it's, 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 it's the thing that I feel more, more proud of for so many different reasons. I don't, as I said, I, I cooked a couple of times Asian, Asian cuisine, but, um, I don't, I don't think I know much, like much about it. The vegan exosas taste choose like exosas. I, so I was, I was very happy. With, I was very impressed with it. Fa- do you have like a favorite Anthony Bourdain episode moment or scene? Or if you weren't, you know, somebody who is a big Anthony Bourdain fan, is there somebody who was like a culinary personality that you were kind of always a fan of, whether it was, you know, Emeril or Jacques Pepin or, or anything like that? De- definitely Anthony Bourdain. I was, I was so absolutely impressed with it. He, he was, uh, yeah, he was, he was, I read his, his book, like, The Kitchen Confidential, probably three times. And, uh, yeah, he, I, I just, I love the way he put things out. Like, he, you know, he, he didn't have a filter. He has, he has something to say. He, he said it. If you don't like it, well, you don't like it, nothing they can do about it. So, yeah, he was, he was always, uh, yeah, he was, he was definitely an inspiration for sure. Was there, do you have like a favorite, like, uh, episode or is there like a scene or anything that stands out? There is, <laughs> there, um, I, I think I really like the the um the way he describes he describes his sous chef because I have that one you know I have the, I have the sous chef I have the sous chef where where I said uh we need something and he disappears and comes back with it and I don't know I I, I don't know exactly how he does it but he does it and, and I tell him like and, and it's funny because he's so skinny too and 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 he describes the guy as being skinny as well and uh yeah he's I I feel like that is that is what and and I say it a lot a lot of times like. You're like like Anthony Bourdain, so chef man. Like I need something, and you figure out a way, and and you do it. And sometimes, like sometimes I expect it, and sometimes, like I said, there is no way you can pull it off, or there is no way anybody can pull it off. And then he does it. I, I don't. I don't. Know. I think like that is something I relate to a lot. <laughs> yeah. Where can um you know where can people find you? Uh, social media, website, reservations, hours you guys are open. Plug plug everything. Well, obviously our, our website is uh, Banas Dining. Uh, same for, for, for Instagram. Um, and then the Pacific Rim website, the, the Fermo Pacific Rim has, has, it has also, also all the, all the information. Um, yeah, the normal, normal channels, open day. We do open table and we do, we do talk every now and then when we have a special dinner. Okay. You guys are open, what, five di- Are you guys open like five days a week or? We, we are choosing to start Wednesdays this week. So we, we are doing three days. And we are moving for four days a week. So it'll be Wednesday through Saturday. Wednesday through Saturday. And then we do Saturday, Sunday brunches. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, I got to eat it firsthand a couple of years ago. It was awesome. Hopefully be able to to come back. Vancouver is definitely a city I want to revisit. I kind of want to do like the whole like Vancouver. I want to do Seattle again and like Portland, just kind of like that Pacific Northwest run. Just eat at a bunch of places and stuff, but hopefully once once COVID kind of settles down, be able to to get back to traveling. But yeah, it's it's definitely an awesome restaurant. It's so unique with just all the greenery and and all the different colors and textures and everything. It's a really cool place. Uh, I know we recommended it to I think like a coworker of my wife's who was who was going through Vancouver. I think they came for brunch too. So I mean, can't say enough about it. Um, but I really appreciate you coming on, you know, the podcast anytime you open invitation to returning, even if it's you guys are rolling out a special menu or something and you want to 
pitch it for 10, 15 minutes, just hit me up on Instagram yeah. or email or whatever, and and we can schedule it and, and all that stuff. But um, yeah, really appreciate you coming on and, and uh, hopefully we'll see you soon. Perfect. Thank you. And yeah, whenever you whenever you're around, just let me know as well. And uh, we'll be good to meet you in person. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Whenever we come back through Vancouver, definitely hit you up. All right. Thank you very much. Big thanks again to Chef Hector Laguna for coming on the podcast and taking some time out of, you know, his off night there just to kind of chat about, you know, his career and, and everything that's going on in the industry in Vancouver up there. Make sure to give him a follow on Instagram at Hector Laguna one also at Botanist Dining uh, too as well. So you can keep up to date with the restaurant. Uh, if you're looking to, you know, go to Vancouver pretty soon, once coronavirus restrictions are lifted and, and travel resumes. Uh, you can make reservations through the Fairmont Pacific Rim Hotel. Uh, just look them up online. Or you can use, I think, Open Table too as well for just kind of... But you could basically eat there, you know, once they're fully kind of open like three different times and have three different experiences. You could do kind of the bar tasting menu. So it's more cocktail focused and the food's paired with the cocktails. You could do the dining room tasting menu, which is what we did, uh, where you have basically the food is kind of the focal point and then the, the drinks play off that. Or you could do the brunch menu too as well that they have on the weekends uh, once they reopen that. So a lot of different options if you're in Vancouver for, you know, depending on how long you're there. That's definitely one of the the best restaurants that, you know, we visited on our kind of turn through there. Pigeon is another favorite too as well. And then there's a handful of others that, that I want to get to, but that I haven't been to as well. So check all that stuff out. It's really cool, you know, food scene up there. Make sure you check out the other chefs and guest episodes that we've done. So this was the 11th one. Uh, we got one more coming out next week. Um, like I said, we'd be releasing one pretty much every week of April. So next week's uh, is actually going to be with Chef Brian Baxter, who is the fifth executive chef of the Catbird Seat in Nashville, which is kind of this tasting menu, restaurant precursor incubator almost. So like usually executive chefs are there for about two years. And it's kind of this stepping stone into you're running your own restaurant, but you're not worried about kind of the... Uh, so much of kind of the back office stuff, you're still focused on the you know menu development and doing all that stuff and running a kitchen, but it's basically the step before you would kind of launch your own restaurant. Uh, Trevor Moran, uh, who I think was the chef when Bourdain went there on one of the Parts Unknown episodes, he's still in the area. He's got his own restaurant called Locust. Josh Habiger, he's over at Bastion. Eric Anderson went over to Qua, which was a Michelin star restaurant out in San Francisco. And I don't know exactly where Eric is now. He kind of bounces around a bit, but Will and uh, I forget who uh, the other half of that executive chef team was before Brian was, but they were there and, and they wound up leaving just kind of right before the start of the coronavirus pandemic. So that episode will come out next week. After that, I don't know. I'm setting up some stuff with some different people, so hopefully be able to keep doing. I also have an idea for something else that I want to do since it'll be kind of like the midway point. The goal was to do 26 chefs and guest episodes, so one for every other week. And we're kind of about the midway point 13, so I do have something I want to I want to do that's a little bit different too as well uh, for one of the episodes. So we might uh, do that after Brian before we kind of get back to the more traditional kind of chef interviews and stuff like that too. So we'll see what happens, but make sure you check those out. There's 10 others You know, we had. I'm going back all the way to, they start on episode 80 in the podcast feed. So you have Jay Clevin of Cleaver. Number 85 is Kevin Wang of Akatsuki. Uh, number 90 is Jacob Inscore, who just moved to New York. Uh, so he doesn't have a restaurant yet, but uh, we're keeping a close eye with him and, and staying in touch. Number 93 is BJ Lieberman of Chapman's Eat Market, which is probably going to be named the best new restaurant in Columbus uh, for this year. Uh, number 96 is Matt Spinner up at Bar Oni in Cleveland. Number 100 is Alex Seidel, uh, Fruition, Mercantile, all that stuff out in Denver. Uh, 105 is Josh Dalton of Veritas here in Columbus, which has been named best restaurant in the city, I think, like three different times. Uh, 116 is Chef Brett Fife of Ghostwriter Public House. Just out in Johnstown, they opened uh, a little over a year ago. Really cool place. Definitely kind of a destination, you know, not too far outside the city. It's only like 25, 30 minutes, but uh, definitely a cool place to check out if you haven't been out that far. Number 121, Garrett Talmage of the just now open Gala Park in the short north. Episode 125, which is uh, Matt Larkin, one of the cooks on the line in Chapman's Eat Market there. Uh, he was, lived over in, in Vietnam for like six years. So we were able to kind of talk to him about that and inspiration for the Vietnam menu that they did and everything too. So that's kind of the precursors, you know, the, the guest before uh, Chef Hector Laguna here. And then like I said, Brian Baxter will be next week, but 
Make sure you give all those a listen. If you haven't, don't skip over any of those. They're each kind of, they follow a similar format, but they're each kind of unique and, and different on their own. And we definitely get into some specific questions for that you know, person too, as well as we're kind of going through. Also make sure to check out restaurant reviews. Those come out on Mondays. It's basically just uh, if it's, you know, something we haven't covered before, a new restaurant, we kind of go through the chef background and have, you know, just kind of give some background on the restaurant and then what our experience was like and course breakdown and stuff like that. And we try and get the, the photos on Instagram too, as well. And then Wednesdays we do parts now known which is a play on Parts Unknown, uh, the Anthony Bourdain series that ran for uh, 11 seasons on uh, CNN. So we are rewatching those in chronological order. And then we usually do a podcast about it. I'd say probably half the episode is about the episode itself. And then the other half is whatever tangents and topics and what's kind of going on in, in the world today. So it's just a fun, you know, fun podcast to kind of uh, do and, and not be as kind of serious as as you know, some of the other ones. So check all that stuff out. They're each different. I'll come to the feed on the same feed. So you don't need to subscribe to different podcasts or anything. Just subscribe or follow the Spoon Mob podcast. Just search Spoon Mob on any podcast platform. Uh, and all that will just come right to your feed once you follow, subscribe, you know, Spotify, Apple, Google Stitcher, uh, Amazon, Audible, pretty much any podcast platform. Um, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, like anything that you get your podcast from, you can find us on there. Just search Spoon Mob. And uh, you should see kind of the pile of spoons, colorful spoons. Um, it's kind of the artwork right now. So check out all that stuff. Appreciate everyone listening. Make sure you are you know following um, the Instagram account too as well, at Spoon Mob on Instagram. We're also on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, everything's kind of linked together. So if you have one platform, but uh, give us a follow on all of them if you use all of them. But definitely, definitely the Instagram account I would recommend following too as well. But appreciate everybody listening. Uh, continue to help spread the word. Uh, you know, we keep growing. So definitely appreciate everybody who's who's following along. And as we get new and, and more people and newer people, welcome. And uh, hope you guys are enjoying. And we will talk to you guys next week.